as always, a big thank you to Myra Green for her music, her composition, Passing Places. You can find out more about Myra Green and her music at myragreen.com or pop on to my website, bonnytours.com and follow her story from there. Hello and welcome to episode 57 of Passing Places. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. And if you're new to the podcast, I say every week it's my personal diaries of my travels around Scotland. Now in this week's episode, I'll maybe have to take that statement off the table because I don't have any audio for you this week from my wanderings around the local hills or from any other exotic part of Scotland. Instead, we're going to concentrate on a chat I had a discussion with a fellow Scot, Ian Gillespie, one of the listeners to Passing Places. If you remember, we talked in the recent weeks about maybe getting some of the listeners onto the podcast. And Ian, through social media, was one of the the first whose uh, arm was easily twisted. So Ian and I have a a chat coming up all about motorhomes and camper vans and Monroe bagging, which is all about climbing hills in Scotland and long-distance footpaths and favourite places in the country and hopefully a discussion that you'll enjoy. And just before we get into that, I wanted to a quick shout-out to Tom Harris, a listener in uh, the USA. Let's hear what Tom has to say. Hello, Passing Places. My name is Tom Harris from Tom Harris USA Podcast, and I wanted to comment on your geocaching episode. If there's one thing that I enjoy Almost as much as Scotland itself, it's geocaching, and I've geocached uh, everywhere from Islay all the way to downtown Edinburgh, out to the Outer Hebrides and, and Shetland, and really have enjoyed my geocaching experiences in Scotland. I think one of the things that should probably be pointed out is that geocaching can actually help some of these more remote areas bring in tourism because if you put out geocaches geocachers will come it's the nature of the game that people just want to go out and if they see a cluster on a map uh, maybe 20 50 caches out in a, in a remote area of scotland and you know there's a some small towns with pubs and B&Bs. You know, it's a great idea for a weekend getaway. And I, I certainly would follow my nose to somewhere like that and get out there and to see areas of Scotland that I might not necessarily have seen before and just because of geocaching. So I think that's an idea that, that people should think about and, and maybe we'll see some geocaching tourism really coming to its own in Scotland. Anyway, thanks for the show and uh, hope to see you on the trail. Thanks for that, Tom. I couldn't agree more. I think the more fragile uh, villages and communities in our rural areas and islands in particular could uh, only benefit from the expansion of geocaching. And if you're one of those people out in Scotland enjoying a, a holiday or a travel trip or whatever and you see people acting strangely, wandering around looking at the ground and picking things up and checking their phones, they're probably geocachers. So what they're really doing is killing a bit of time until you take yourself off and they can then go and find the cache because they're on the lookout for muggles. So the best way to overcome that is to download the app and give geocaching a a try. And uh, just before we dive into the chat with Ian, my own geocache, or Caitlin and I's geocache, is now out there. It hasn't been registered online. I'm going to do that in the next few days and we'll have our own geocache to look after. So like all my hobbies, I'll probably grow tired of it pretty quickly, but at the moment I'm into geocaching. So 
Now let's get into the chat with Ian. Uh, it's about half an hour or so. And as I say, we cover quite a few things that I hope are relevant to the podcast. And if you're interested as a listener in coming on to the podcast, then get in touch. So over to our chat with Ian. Well, Ian, I'm with the Ian Gillespie. Uh, thanks for joining me on Passing Places. I've been thinking, Ian, about bringing people onto the podcast for ages, and it's entirely my uh, fault that I haven't had you on sooner. And uh, welcome. Thanks very much. It's uh, good to make the contribution. And tell us where you are in Scotland. Uh, I'm in Aberdeenshire. Uh, I'm just north of the, the Angus border. It's near a small village, Fettercairn. Uh, I'm a few miles south of that, in an area called the How of the Merns. Right. Famous for uh, Lewis Grassic Gibbon. Yes, yes. The famous books, yeah. Yep. That's all set in this area. So. And the, the last, uh, well, two or three episodes ago, I was up in Edsel for the weekend, and I know you're not far from there, and I've been in Glenesk a couple of times in the last year or two. Yeah, so that's a fine sight. It's a, nice, a lovely spot, actually. It's a lovely part of the world. And yeah, I mean, I didn't get the chance to get up the Glen, but beyond the campsite in Glenesk, if you go up to, what's the mountain? Is it Mount Keen, Ben Keen? Yeah, if you, if you continue up, you're going through sort of sporting estate land. Yeah. Um, you continue, you come up to a small village, Tarside. Yep. And then from Tarside, you come up to Invermark at the end. Now, Invermark is the start for uh, many of the old, what used to call mouth roads, which were droving roads, right? Um, and it's the most easterly Monroe, yep. which is uh, Mount Keen. Which, if you're if you're feeling fairly fit and got, I don't know, two or three hours uh, from the car park, it's a lovely walk actually. It's very straightforward. It's probably one of the simplest Monroes, um, but it's still a. That sounds good for me because I have a, a, a fear of heights, so I avoid some of the more exposed, <laughs> you know, difficult ones. Uh, this one's more of the. The Cairngorm style mineral, which is really yeah. sort of large round top variety, they're not you don't get the spiky ones up here, yeah. so um, but it's a, it's a lovely, it's a very good walk actually. And it's you know, if you're have you done any Monroe's Kevin or I've done you know, like a typical Scotsman over the years, I've, I've been in and out hill walking as a hobby, and yeah. I could probably count in I say two hands, I could probably say 20 if I was. If I was drunk in a pub and I was boasting, I'd say 20, but it's probably if you counted maybe nearer 12 or 15. You know, when you when you work out in the Monroe and whether it's a top or not and things. So, uh, but you're into the whole Monroe bagging, are you? Yes. Um, in two thousand nine, I actually became a Monroe completer. Right. Which uh, means that I completed all at that time two hundred and eighty four right. Monroes. Um, I started it probably in about two thousand and five. Um, continued almost every weekend. And really, that's three and a half years uh, when you're working and you're really trying to do weekends is a massive commitment. Oh, yeah. And the um, weather as well. I mean, that must be difficult well, I, too. I actually done it right through winter. Right. And I was fortunate. I don't know if they were, you know, fairly mild winters, but they certainly weren't severe enough to keep you uh, really away for the, the more sort of trickier uh, exposed hills, but no, it was it was probably physically and probably mentally as well one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. It was full on, um, and it but, was an experience. It's probably one of the best things I've ever done. 
must have kept you really fit. At first, I think the first 10 or 20, I hated it. I used to just do it because, you know, somebody else was doing it or, oh, well, if they're going, I'll go kind of thing. Um, I think when I got to 50, I was really starting to get hooked. When you get to 100, you're hooked. And then you're talking, it's all the milestones. Like you get halfway, which is 142, and then you get to 150, a nice milestone. Then you're at the 200, and then if you're at 200, you can't stop. And then you're 250, and then you work it all down, and you get to the final. Uh, at that time, it was 284. That's quite an achievement. I think it's been, uh, you know, it's been, they keep, they sort of mess around with the heights, the Monroe Society. Yeah, I noticed. Yeah. They've dragged a couple of them down or pushed a couple up, and it's now sitting, I think, at 282. Right. So it's quite, it's quite good. I mean, when you complete the other uh, little quirky thing I've got is you're allocated a completer's number by the uh, the SMC, the Scottish Monroe Club. Uh, sorry, Scottish Mountaineer Club. Yeah. And I was fortunate enough to be allocated the next number when I completed, which happened to be 4321. Very good. Excellent. Quite unique. Yes. And I don't think that will be that will certainly not be repeated in my lifetime. That there'll no, be no. five, three, two, one. Yeah, there's Very not good. many completed. It's um, you know, there's only it's getting more popular now, but certainly, I mean, that's since its inception. Well, tell uh, me I, two, tell me two things, Ian. Tell me your maybe two or three favourites out of them all, if that's possible. That's a bit unfair, but also maybe for beginners, where would you suggest they start off? Well, the, th- the thing is, Kevin, I've got everything. I mean, if you're if you're keen to start off and you say, "Well, I'm the sort of person that needs, you know, I need five under my belt to get me get me the taste for this." Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, you've got groups, for example, up at Glen Shee, where you've got the Cairn Well Group, where you've got three in a group, which is really, I mean, it's a it's a stiff walk, but it's not it's not really a challenge. If it takes, you know, you've got somebody that knows what they're doing, yeah, you could get yeah. three in a one or some of the other ones and. I should maybe interrupt you there and say I'm I'm going to murder some of these names because I'm not a native Gaelic speaker and some of the names are unpronounceable. But <laughs> well, we'll get by, I'm sure. <laughs> ben Conzi? Yes. Uh, up near um, Creef. Yep. Straightforward. Yeah, I think good, uh, good you'll, you'll have heard Katie and Dermot on the podcast. I think they've been up Ben uh, Conzi, Johnzi, whatever. Yeah, some people call it Ben Conzi, some call it Ben Ahonzi and all yeah. the rest of it. I'm, I'm not great for that. That's why I was going to go up Ben Keen. I thought it was quite easy. Uh, <laughs> ben Keen even. <laughs> um, no, but some of the better, some of the really good ones, ones that I've enjoyed, uh, ones that are just, I mean, stunning to look at and just incredible to go up. Um, anything in Torridon. Uh Again, I'm going to murder this. Leotach, which is Leah Gach, uh, Ben Alligan, Ben A, just yep. fantastic. Um, I mean, they're, they're, from the roadside, they're stunning. And the way up, they're just unbelievable. And from the, the tops and the summits, are just there's something else to see. The ones I've been up in more recent years uh, are places like Ben Ben Lady, just which is handy for me. Uh, yeah. I don't think... Is it Ben Lady in Monroe? It it's just, not. Just I don't know how classified, actually, I've... Yeah, I've only under. done, I've, from my sins, I've only done, I think, two or three Corbett's, which are the next, right. um, yeah. you know, the next. I think Ben Lady misses out by not, but not by far. And then Ben Vorlich at Loch Ern is one that I've been up a few times. 
Yeah. Monroe, yeah. Yeah. So that's another one. Really, that's a great walk. Right. So you're a good man um, to know if I'm looking for a hill walk that doesn't involve sheer drops. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. I don't mind going out. I think I know my limitations weather-wise and in winter in terms of things like ice axes and when I should not be going up a hill. But the one yeah. thing I worry about when you read the books or a route, and it'll use terms around the you know the notion of scrambling. And yeah. you're never sure, no matter even if you read five or six different reports, because everybody's ideas of what is a scramble or what's yeah, difficult definitely. is different. So that usually puts me off if there's any suggestion <laughs> yeah. that there's hand, hands involved rather than just feet. I'm usually well, put inter off. Interestingly, I'm a, I actually suffer from vertigo. Yep. And obviously doing the Monroes, I had to, you know, complete the Monroes on Sky. One of them is the inaccessible pinnacle. It's right. like a shark fin of rock yeah. which sticks out the summit of uh, Skewer Jerig. And it is, I don't know how many hundreds of feet, but it is a, it is a sheer drop. Um, you really need an experienced climber and, you know, to lead you up. I went up and I actually felt okay. Um, some of the other ones I've had, you know, attack, strangely, I've only had a an attack of vertigo on two hills and they were both benign big round um, right. hills. The other ones, the sort of pointy ones um, the real scrambles, I think you're, you're concentrating so much on it that um, you know it doesn't bother you but uh, no, there's, there's great hills there's a great range of hills and there's so much literature out there um, but I'll tell you, once once you get started and I think beyond the 50 maybe, maybe approaching 100 you're hooked and it's a, it's a fantastic undertaking. I mean, you see huge parts of Scotland, uh, mainly the northwest, uh, which would otherwise never visit. You know, some of these really remote glens and, um, you know, even some of the little towns that you visit, some places you stay. It's just, it's very, it's a incredible undertaking. You know, I can't compete anything uh, at all with what you've achieved there, but I do have a, a little app on my phone, which is in the... I think it's called the Monroes of Scotland or something. But, yeah. You're halfway so, there. Are you just going to go round and do it all again? Is it second time uh, round? Or? No. Right. I've done, I've probably done, since I completed in 2009, I've done a lot of walking, um, but I've only probably redone, if you like, uh, I think it's a dozen. Right. Um, it's, you know, my daughters are, I've got two daughters who are in their 20s, um, one of them in particular was quite interested in doing them in rows. So it was, you know, could I take her along kind of thing. So um, I've taken her and a, a couple and, you know, uh, both my daughters enjoyed it actually, but um, it's never went anywhere since then. I think the only reason I could see for me doing them again was if it was somebody in my family that, you know, wanted to do them and I somehow caught the bug again. Um, but it's kind of mixed feelings when you complete there is a, there is a huge sense of relief. There's a you know you you really I mean it's a hell of an achievement. Um, but for me it was I think it was probably because I completed them so quickly that um, there was definitely a relief in it. I mean, what a difference not to go out at the weekend. I was out every weekend, yeah. and I mean without fail, I had an old camper van at that time. It was a, an old Volkswagen T3. Yep. And I spent, I don't know, 200 nights a year in it sometimes. Well, I had, a, I had a, a, an iTunes review I mentioned a week or two ago in the podcast. Somebody was asking me on that review, what are the 
essentials in a camper van rather than the luxuries or the, you know, what can you, what, what do you really need in a van? And it's probably down in some ways to, to personal uh, yeah. preferences and uh, priorities as well. But what type of van have you got just now or what vans have you had? Well, what I've done was um, my, my, the first van I ever had was when I was uh, in my 20s, my early 20s, I bought one of the air-cooled Volkswagens. You know, yep. the classic yep. flat-fronted bay window things. And mm-hmm. I ran around for a couple of years like a freak brother. Um, then, you know, I went on and I was always, it was always Volkswagens for me. I always had Volkswagen Beetles. In fact, uh, I only got rid of my last Beetle about four or five years ago. But what I'd done was I had started doing the Monroes and it was, it was I don't like camping. And, you know, the logistics of going somewhere, staying in that area, uh, doing the Monroe, coming back, getting ready and going home in a car. It's just it's so much hard work. So I bought this old transporter uh, Mark III Volkswagen. It's a Westphalia Joker. I used that for the Monroes. And anyway, I've completed the Monroes. Then I, I kept going out, but I wanted an upgrade. So I invested in a a Volkswagen transporter Mark IV, but it's a what they call a Westphalia California exclusive. It's a very rare uh, high-top, long-wheelbase Volkswagen uh, van. Unlike yours, Kevin, I've seen yours. Uh, mines will have a lot less room. Uh, so it's like the you know the commercial kind of Volkswagen plumber van yes, type thing. Yes, but it's converted by the factory. Um, it's a high-top. So the headroom is at a fixed high top. It's a fixed high top. It's a four berth van. There's two beds, a double bed if you like, up the top, and below um, the the middle seat swaps rock and roll bed into another double. As a four berth, it is a real squeeze. But right. as a single berth, for me, it's a luxury camper van. Because when that um, when that person was asking me in the review, you know, what are the essentials, I was thinking well, the. An obvious thing for me was the size of van. When I first looked at the vans, I thought, I wonder if they difficult to drive or manoeuvre or reverse or whatever, which turns out not to be a problem. But when mm-hmm. you when you look at a camper van, you know, some of the... I started out with the Mazda Bongo, which yeah. happened to be four-wheel drive. And some mm-hmm. of the benefits were you can go anywhere. You could go in a car. You could yeah. go a little bit off-road in terms of a, you know, a wet campsite, a muddy field, whatever, wasn't a problem. Yeah. Uh, the downside was, you know, the headroom. The, the Mazda Bongo, the roof went up. Uh, like a tent yep. roof. Yeah. So you could stand up, but headroom was potentially an issue with the smaller camper vans. Didn't and you find that uh, with the bongo, with the kind of fabric roof, the elevated roof, if you like, what couldn't, weren't you limited? If you Could you put that up in stormy weather, for example? No, I think that was, you know, you had to try and think in bad weather, the wind direction, would it be okay to keep it up? The other yeah. thing that probably even more so in the wind for me at times was the cold. You know, a key thing oh, in a van is, is heating. If you're going to be out, outside the normal sort of summer yeah. months is, is how you're going to keep warm. Are you just going to wrap up in umpteen sleeping bags? Well, or are you going to have actually, some form of heating, you know? Yeah, I was going to say one of the one of the sort of vital things, I think, uh, apart from headroom, headroom is really important, mm-hmm. is a heater. Yeah. I would never take a camper van or a motorhome that never had a heater. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's amazing even, uh, you know, in, in summer, how cold it can get at night or if you're just sitting there and you haven't run the engine and there's nothing generate heat uh even though i mean my van would be the same i've got a winterized van 
It's fully insulated. Even the glass windows are double glazed. That is a real, is a well-made fan. But a heater is vital. Um, other stuff. I mean, you need a fridge. Yep. It's so handy. Uh, a good, efficient fridge. And I think the only other thing which mines has got uh, running water. Right. Uh, yep. Mines does have a toilet um, and a, an electric flushing toilet and a wash hand basin in a separate compartment which they've shoehorned into the van. It's incredible how they've done it. Um, but I would say, you know, certain number one thing is a heater. I mean, even if it was a car I was using, you need a heater. Yeah, I think um, I think I would agree that, you know, you once you've decided on the size of the van, uh, you definitely need some sort of heating. And definitely. for me, if you've got cooking facilities and the fridge, it's always been really important. And whether... Yeah. You know, if you've got somebody with you, if it's a couple or a family, then you need to think about the sleeping arrangements as well. But for me, yeah. on my own, that's never been such a big priority, the sleeping part of it. Yeah, I think the, the only other thing, I mean, just thinking there, that sort of limits me is another important thing, which I've, I've given a lot of consideration to, is the leisure battery. Yeah. Now, I like to, if I can, um, live off-grid, if you like. Um, so I've got a solar panel. And the combination of... A large, I've got a 140 amp hour battery, which powers a lot of stuff for a long time. And the ability to recharge that without firing up the engine or driving anywhere is a massive advantage. I need to speak to you about that, Ian, because that's my next step is to get a second battery and a voltage inverter. But I could do with a you know, power source like solar yeah. panels to really make it work. Well, I think with your van, the problem I've got with my van is because the camper van is very small and yes. yep. the roof doesn't have as many nooks and crannies in it. I'm limited yep. by get, by putting one in the roof. I've got a standalone one I mount at the side of the van. You could have, in your style of van, you could have a permanent one, you see. But solar panels, you know, the price has dropped hugely in the last few years. Um, and I've found, I've used one a lot this year, Um that has been excellent. The other thing is as well, a lot of sites these days are charging you separately for electricity. That's true. So, you know, I'm, I mean, I was on a site uh, last week, week before, it was £4 per night. Yeah. That's a lot. That's a lot for electricity. Yeah. You know, if you've got a solar panel, solar panel might cost you a couple of hundred pounds. But if you're using that over a few years, you know, and you're out a lot, yeah, it does help. Plus, you can and, condition your battery when you're sitting at the house. And it's so. a green, it's a it's a better yep. option for the environment. But that flexibility you've got to park up in the lay-by and to be that bit more independent. Yeah, yeah, I definitely need to sort that. And I think for some people, maybe I'm being making a generalisation here, but being older, but you, as you age or whatever, perhaps the toilet issue becomes a more important for people. But some people are yeah. probably need to think that through as to whether they're going to have a toilet or not. Because well, it can be a little bit, little bit camping where you've got to get up in the middle of the night and go to the loo, you know, that's not could, great. Could be an age thing, Kevin, yep. but it's extremely useful. Yes. <laughs> I used to go to the toilet when I was a kid as well, but it's become... <laughs> In my first day of cool van, a toilet, are you kidding? But this one is uh, extra. I mean, it really was... It has been... I mean, not just, you know, when you're out on your own, you're middle of nowhere, and you've, you've got to think, you know, yeah, pollution and... You're in the environment you're staying in. I mean, you you don't want to leave any, uh, you know, evidence that you've been there at all. Um, but probably more importantly, uh, daughters. <laughs> yeah. Boys will go behind a bush. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's you know, but girls 
notions. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been very handy. I think that frustrates me a little bit on the Western Isles is where I first heard the debate and I was over on Tyree, was it last year, the year before? But the, the concern in islands in particular about the the abuse that's been seen on occasions by, there's always one, but, you know, people in vans, motorhomes and camper vans, pitching up on a sensitive beach and having bonfires or whatever, but the accusation being that they turn up laden with their supermarket goods for the week they don't spend anything in the local economy and then they take off after emptying their toilet waste somewhere inappropriately or whatever. So the the sort of answer to that at times has been, you know, they should be on a campsite, they should be in a caravan park. And I really get frustrated because I don't want to travel around Scotland or travel a distance to end up in Toy Town on a manicured lawn next to a, a row of vans yep. all playing at camping. I want to be Absolutely. out enjoying the countryside and I want to be, you know, obviously responsible in how I do that. So when you get to places like France, in particular when I've been over in the van, and you see how welcoming they are to motorhomes and uh, camper vans in comparison to the UK, where there's this almost a, a feeling that, that that we're ripping people off or that we're not contributing in some way because we're not going on to sites. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I really don't want to go to a campsite generally. I go because mm -hmm. it's... It's there, it's easier, it's a, a place that I can get laundry yeah. done or whatever, a shower every couple of days or whatever. Yeah. But it's not my idea of where I want to be. I'd rather step out onto something a bit more uh, natural than... Yeah, definitely. I think, but don't you think that some of the... I mean, you're welcome, you know, there's these networks of, uh, you know, pubs and restaurants and some businesses will let you use your car park. You're kind of welcomed. Yep. You know, providing you play the game, you don't yes. mess the place up, you would use their facilities and you don't empty tanks and all the rest of it all over the place. Um, I mean, I've got to say, in, in hundreds of nights I've spent away, wild, um, as in, in the middle of nowhere, I don't think I've caused a problem, but I've certainly never been asked to move on. Uh, I've never run into trouble. I've never been challenged. And I've never had... And I've always feared that I've never had... You know, the, the man in the middle of the night banging the side of the van and all that stuff. I've yeah, never had a problem. I, I've never been challenged either. You know, I think uh, speaking to a couple of people who are fearful at a personal level about the yeah. the, the dark and the, the safety issues, I was having a laugh. And a laugh. I mean, I, I did feel a bit spooked on the microphones mm -hmm. last week because every time I move my feet, the condenser mics on the recorder are really sensitive. It sounded like there's somebody else there. I kept yeah. feeling there was somebody walking beside me, and it was me. Mm -hmm. And uh, because I was just outside Stirling, I thought, you know, if if I bump into somebody, I'm going to, you know, scream. They're probably screaming and both run in the opposite direction. But yeah. when you're out in the Highlands, normally or whatever, that never occurs to me that I'm in the, you know, in the dark. Aye, I mean, it's, uh, I think when I'm away on my own, uh, probably like yourself, I, you know, I spend a lot of the time. I mean, most of the time I'm on my own. Um, but I've got my two cocker spaniels. Right. And I don't know whether it's just having the two dogs there. And I mean, they're only very small uh, gun dogs. Um, I don't know if it's the company or the kind of, you know, the loyalty. I'm never worried. I'm never worried about somebody coming to the van. I think if I was on my own, you know, there's this thing, what was that noise? And, you know, is this, will somebody trouble me? Because sometimes you think that, well, there's bound to be a gamekeeper's bound to come up here and say, what are you doing here? Um, but like I say, no, I've never never run into an issue at all. Yeah, I need to do more while camping. I think if I speak to you afterwards about the inverter and the solar panels and things, because that yeah, would help me get through the winter. Yeah, definitely. Very, very straightforward. Yeah. 
And I've also learned, I suppose, pretty quickly that uh, if you're in that situation in the dark on your own somewhere, the best place to be is in the dark. You don't want to be putting a light on or putting a, you know, you open the door with a light on, you can't see anything. You open the door with a light yeah. off, your yeah. eyes adjust a lot quicker, nobody knows you're there. You don't want to be yeah. broadcasting to the universe with a torch. I was just going to say, easier said than done, Kevin. True, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, mm -hmm. definitely. I mean, at least if you're, you know yourself, and you're in the middle of nowhere, uh, and you've got the, the lights on, you can't see anything outside. But uh, yeah, I know what you're saying. Okay, and another topic that I, I know that you have a experience of was going back almost to the hill walking. This thing with the pedometer and me getting out and about, uh, I'm taking it ever so ever so gradually or slowly, so I'm still just walking. But you mm. were talking about uh, your experience along distance footpaths, and I've been out on the, yeah. the West Highland Way umpteen times, and I've walked it a couple of times in places like the the um, Speyside Way. But mm -hmm. the uh, when I was online the other day researching it and finding there was, I can't remember, it was 30, 40, whatever. There's so many now that are being defined at various levels, but yeah. what's your thoughts on long distance footpaths and what's your... Favourite of your experiences um, well, so far? I've done, there's, I, I don't know how they classify them, Kevin, but there's the big uh, sort of Scottish iconic ones. You know, you've got your West End Way and all these kind of things. The ones I've done in the groups, um, the first one I've done was the Great Glenway, yeah. which was a walk from Fort William to Inverness, basically following follow a straight line, if you like, Loch Lochy, uh, Loch, yeah. Loch Ness, and then up to Inverness. Being my first one, I think, from memory, I think it was 65 miles. I might be wrong there. I think it was 65. I found it really hard, but it was fantastic. Um, I was doing that just before I started the Monroe's, but I then went on to do the St. Cuthbert's Way, which was a walk from Melrose and the Borders over to the Holy Isle, which was another... That was. That was one of my favourites. Uh, brilliant. I mean, you could you could do a whole show with that, Kevin. It was just excellent. I like that. Uh, I like good... that idea because I can imagine <laughs> it not being as popular or well known as many of them. Uh, that was quite quiet. That one. Yeah. Um, Spaceside Way. I've done that one. That's from you travel from Avi Moore. Keep um, adding bits on. Yeah. yeah. Right up to Bucky. Mm -hmm. uh, another one which was the hardest one to do by far. Um, the Southern Upland Way. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's on my bucket list. I've been at, ever since that came online, I've been chasing that one. That's 200 and... 212. Up, so 212 miles. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, my brother and I done it in nine days. Oh, no, no. we done it, actually, we done it at the same time. <laughs> somebody as chasing you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Gurkha's done it in nine days. Right. And we've done it in nine days. It was hard really really hard i think you know it's so old now and the lack of investment a lot of the posts had fallen down had been knocked over by cattle were missing the facilities along the route like shops had shut hotels were gone but the, the actual landscape hasn't changed it's funny know, that because you know when you look the at the west it was fantastic sorry cut across you though you know the west highland way has become so popular and people think because it's the highlands, it's big mountains, it's spectacular, and it is. You know, the scenery is amazing, but the actual route itself is pretty tame most of the yeah. way. Whereas that yeah. southern upland way cuts across the grain of the country. You're up and exactly. down all those hills. Yeah. 
every wow. every day. I mean, the amount of scent that you're doing on that Southern Upland way, and as you say, the lack of facilities, the the distances involved between towns, it's yeah. a much much bigger challenge. It was. It, I was really surprised actually. I mean, it it wasn't my first long distance route. It was. Uh, it, I mean, I was well into it. I was fit enough. But it was a real eye opener. It was. I mean, when I arrived in Edinburgh at the end, because when you get to the very end, uh, a place called Coburn's Path. Yes. The shop had shut. The <laughs> shop, yes. So <laughs> there, was no, there was no real official finishing point. So we jumped on a bus, we went back to Edinburgh, and we arrived like a pair of hobos. Mm-hmm. It was just, I mean, I had, it was an amazing, looking back, it was an incredible experience. The weather was mixed. Um Midges were bad. The terrain was tough. But it was a beautiful bit of the country. But I'll tell you, it was hard. It was a tough walk. But Kevin, will you come and do it? I've still got the maps and the guidebook. Uh, Very welcome. I remember those green books when they first came out. I thought, I'm going to be doing (laughs) this. And I went out for years. I went out in the car at different times and wrecked different parts of it. But it always never, because the problem, even going back to my work days, was because it, I, I measured it for my enjoyment, if you like, as a two-week venture. And I thought, that's two weeks holiday. You know, that's a big commitment to make if you're working full-time. I suppose yeah. now that I'm not working, I, I don't have any excuses. I should really be thinking about... It's, it's um, Would I recommend it? I don't know. Um, at the time I'd done it, when I... When I finished it, I really was disappointed. I've got to say that. And I've come in for some criticism after that because, you know, I've been on forums that said, oh, I, you know, it wasn't for me. And people said, how could you say that with the Sun Island Way? And it's beautiful. No, it was just logistically, it was a real, yeah, real challenge. Slog. See, yeah. The thing that, that struck me when I did the West Highland Way, it was the year it opened. It was oh, right. days or weeks yeah. after it opened. I was only 17 at the time or something. And it was like the Southern Upland Way. There was brand new posts in certain fields, but no path. So there was this almost oh, yeah. a bit of a treasure hunt. Can you find the, the signposts? Yep. It was map and compass, quite a bit of it. In those days, I'm talking about even this, you know, early part of the walk to Drimmon and things, you had to find these posts and <laughs> gates. And it, I enjoyed that part of it. And when that's, I went and looked actually, at the... Yeah, you're right. That's, that's what the Southern Upland Way yeah. was like. I mean, you'd be entering a field which was unmown, You'd bit a post, you could see a post in the far corner, yep. you'd think, where's the path? Yep. You know, it was so little used. Yeah. And it wasn't, so, I wouldn't say disrepair, I'd say it was just uh, poorly maintained. Well, maybe I'll never get it done. But maybe bringing <laughs> this to uh, some sort of conclusion, even in terms of time, but you, tell me what your... I, I usually say this is unfair when you try and give favourites, but have you got any particular thoughts you'd give to people who are listening to this about where they should go in Scotland in terms of, say, outdoors, if they're going walking or long-distance paths or whatever, but have you got favourite places? Yeah, well, the, the thing I've got is that I always look at the locations I go to as everything's a slight compromise. Uh, the scenery, you know, the, the actual the area you're in, if you like, um, dog walking's big for me. Um, the sort of areas I like, Alton Do near Achutabu. Right. It overlooks the Summer Isles. Yes. Absolutely beautiful. One of the most stunning locations you could go to, but not great for dog walks. I think every, Foyers on the shores of Loch Ness, 
Yes. Yep. Fanta fantastic. That's my dog making his... his See, that's, a, that's great that Skid didn't spoil the recording. It was one of yours. No, Foyer's brilliant. Great forest walks right on the walk side. Uh, a lot of history. Uh, fantastic. My other favourites... How many people just shoot up the other side of Loch Ness and never see that? It's Foyer's is... You're right, and the, the thing is, they always, to me anyway, I'm an outsider, but they always seem to get the raw deal. When they're shutting the road, or they're having a sporting event, it's always that side of the lock that gets shut down. And, you know, these people these people have got lives to live, and they have to get from, you know, foyers to the south end yeah. or to the north end. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's, that's probably two of my favourites. The other ones, Kevin, I just, I mean, I've got so many, so many places I do like to go. I mean, Last week, for example, I put on your uh, Facebook page. That of I course, yes, you were away on your trip. Well, that's, that's why I was bringing you on the show, to actually talk yeah. about your trip uh, last week. Well, I went to some <laughs> spectacular locations there. I went up to Glen Affric, which that is, is just amazing. Yes. beautiful. It's one of, one of the most of year, picturesque glens. Oh, this time of year, you, you couldn't beat it. Yeah. One of the most picturesque glens in Scotland, without a doubt. Uh, I went up the neighbouring glen, which is Glen Canick. Right. And I went up to him. Now I'm going to murder. I can't believe I could actually murder such a simple pronunciation. I called it Loch Mullardoch, but speaking to a man in Foyers, he says it's Mullardoch. Mullardoch. A right. subtle, subtle difference. Now, when I stayed there, I was probably. There was fishermen in the loch fishing when I arrived. Uh, as the lights went down, I could see the fishermen disappeared, their cars went. The lodge across the loch. The lights went out, well, they went home, nobody lives there, and it was pitch black. I must have been the only person, apart from maybe the odd cottage, for maybe, I'm guessing here, it felt like 10 miles. And that's the night where it was pitch black, all of a sudden, northern lights. Oh. Green, big green flash. It's like the massive shower cutting across the... You've been sky. paid to annoy me here, you've been brought on just to wind <laughs> me up now. Uh, that was a fantastic spot. It's not a, it's a spot with no facilities and there's nothing there but a big, massive concrete dam. But it was just, it was so special. It was fantastic. Um, uh, the, that trip was just great. And, you know, like I say, Glen Africa stopped there. I went to uh, Dog Falls and done some of the forestry walks again because I've got the dogs with me. But these kind of areas are just... I loved him. Absolutely loved it. And I went actually just to interest Kevin. I then left um, Glen Canick and went up to Loch Glasgarnach. Right. That's the man-made loch between Garve and Ollapool. Right. Which had recently been drained, and you could actually see the old road. Right. Um, there was pictures on the BBC, and it was it was my brother actually. Is that where the hotel is? Right next to the Old Goose Hotel. Yes. Or the yeah. Old Goose Inn. Yeah. Um, I was in there on are, the motorbike a couple of years ago. Yeah. Yeah, it's popular with bikers. It's mm -hmm. popular with, uh, you know, camper vans, travellers. Yes. I think they've got a little bit round about you can actually stay now. But anyway, they had started flooding their loch again, so I never got to see the old road. But uh, right. I continued. I was doing a tour of all the old hydro sites, and uh, it was just, it was one of these trips you come back and you think, that was a really good trip. So, we could we could talk forever, uh, Ian. I tell you what, we should do is 
I should catch up with you on your travels and mine somewhere and we'll Definitely. bring that audio onto the podcast and yeah. have a chat. Yeah. And I'll leave I'll leave my dogs in my van. Well you see, I was wondering <laughs> your dogs were back in there and I'm thinking, why is Skid not reacting? I'd forgotten I'm all got headphones and everything. He can't hear any of this conversation. That's why yeah. he's lying there oblivious. If he'd heard your dogs, he'd have been up. So, no, it was also uh, somebody just passed the window. Um, yeah. And Kevin, I'm in one of these old, uh, it's an old weaver's cottage. Right. And the pavement is right up against the front of the house. Yes. So, you know, people brush past my window. Dogs will. If it's not the right character, they react. They can, yeah. Anybody can pass, but it's certain things that they don't know or they've never seen and they kick off. So, great. Well, look, what I'm going to suggest, Ian, is if MD who is listening to this wants to pick your brains or get in touch with me on the podcast about the Monroe bagging or about camper vans or about locations in Scotland, anything that we've talked about, I'll be I'll be getting back on Skype to you saying, what's the answer? That'd be what should fantastic. They yeah, <laughs> what, what should they do? But we should catch up. I know it's coming into the winter now, but if you're still out in your van at any point in the coming weeks, yeah. we should catch up somewhere. And uh, yeah, I, think, I think it will be. I'm thinking I'm actually... Uh, probably going to try and squeeze one more um, kind of longish trip right. before the winter. Uh, well, before the winter, before you know Christmas, um, and then yeah, we could. We'll have to meet up. Definitely. I mean, it's a, been a pleasure speaking to you tonight. But one of the best things about the podcast has been the fact that I've made contact with so many people who share an interest or a passion for Scotland. So. It's been okay. fantastic on that basis. You know, we're, we're chatting away on Skype and we'll meet one day and, I mean, there's there's no better measure of success of the podcast than bringing like-minded souls together on, you know, talking about Scotland. So it's been great. Yeah, I agree. Definitely. Right, let's uh, finish it there. But thanks again for giving me the uh, best part of an hour of your time. It was a pleasure. Great. Okay, thanks, speak Kevin. to you soon. Cheers. Thanks again, Ian. That really was enjoyable to put a face and a voice to your name. I've seen you on the Passing Places podcast group on Facebook, but it's uh, I feel as if I know you now, and I'm sure we'll catch up somewhere in Scotland and we can get a little bit of audio recorded. So if you're one of those listeners who'd like to come on to the podcast, get in touch. Uh, at the moment, the listeners that are foremost in my mind are Joyce and Carlo. Just spent uh, a little bit of time this morning on the Skype talking to Joyce and Carlo in their hotel room and uh, I think they're in Inverness just now and they're out for the, the day so uh, get in touch and if I can give you any advice if you're thinking about a journey to Scotland I might be able to give you some suggestions so let's bring this to a close I think we should be uh, probably at a reasonable length now in terms of that interview and the overall podcast so I'll close the podcast off for this week and I'll catch up with you all next week. In the meantime, stay safe and I'll see you somewhere on your travels around Scotland. <laughs>